Hey, good to see you. Glad that you're all here. Glad that I'm here, too. Oh, I got an amen from the crowd on that one. That's good. Well, I am very glad to be back, and I'm very thankful that uh, Monty and Tim were able to fill in um, for us while we were gone. Um, I've caught bits and pieces of it and, and uh, hopefully get a chance to connect with those guys to thank them. Uh, by the way, um, we had a great vacation. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the mouse, which is awesome. I left my ears at home, so because nobody wants to see that. It's all right. Uh, and, um, you know, I was thinking about this on the way back because uh, we drove, and it's a long drive because we had to go to Kentucky to pick up our eldest daughter. On the w- It was a long drive. I'll just say that. And... Um <coughs> I, it dawned on me on the way back home, I just, I was thinking, you know, between vacation and a sabbatical, I didn't realize how drained I was. And, and I suspect that a lot of people feel that way, um, just by virtue of the last 18 months or two years or whatever it's been, um, too long, we'll put it that way. But I didn't, I didn't realize that. And as we're driving home, I was feeling a little more um, energized and just going, oh, okay, this is, this is what this feels like again. And I was, I was very glad uh, to have that kind of time off. And I feel like going into the holiday season now um, uh, is going to be a good thing. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you're here. And those of you who are online, thank you for um, joining us uh, this morning, too. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. Uh, by the way, my name is David, and I will be your guide. I will be your Sherpa. I'll be your Sherpa of Scripture. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Oh, my God, I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. <laughs> that's, oh, like a new business card. I've got to go print those up. No, that's funny. Sherpa of Scripture. Anyway, we are starting our Advent series a week early because Advent actually starts next week. Um, but I want to... I wanna, um, talk about a couple of things. We're going to work our way through Matthew's birth narrative, because normally speaking, we all go to Luke because it's longer, and um, I thought this year that we might uh, focus a little more on Matthew. It's, it's a shorter narrative, but um, there's so much cultural, historical types of things that, um, that we tend to like around here, and, and so I thought, well, maybe we'll just kind of work our way through Matthew. Um, but there's there's something we need to address prior to Matthew, um, because Matthew deals with this probably better than, than some others. And, um, uh, and so I want to start, start uh, prior to Matthew just to kind of set things up a little bit. And, and the, the truth of the matter is we all kind of get excited for Christmas, don't we? I mean, when you were a kid, Advent was so long. <laughs> oh my gosh, December would roll around and... Yeah, we're not really, really good at waiting, are we? <laughs> no, uh, I, I, just, I remember it, um, uh, and I grew up in a, what's called a high church that has a lot of tradition uh, involved in it, and, and uh, so every single week we were reminded that Christmas was coming, which, you know, can you imagine me as a 10-year-old? Yeah, no, right? I, you know, it's just kind of that thing, and I, it was just forever. We all get like that from time to time. The ancient Jews knew something about patience, about waiting. Um, There's hundreds of years between um, when God spoke through his prophets to the people of Israel 
and the moment that Jesus appeared. I mean, we've got this long, I don't know, 300 plus year gap, something like that. Um, that's a long time where it felt like God was silent. Of course, God wasn't really silent, but he wasn't speaking to his people the way that they were used to um, previous to that. And so I, that's kind of where I want to start today. I want to start today with this idea of prophecy and some of the prophecies that were related to the birth of Jesus a little bit. There's some 300 Old Testament prophecies about a coming king, a Messiah who would restore Israel to greatness. Um, and there's quite a bit of speculation uh, among like religious scholars at the time um, they speculated that there would be a, a man that was in the tradition of King David uh, who would mobilize the people to cast off the occupation by the Gentiles. He would be a warrior king. And so they had this kind of image in mind that would be a great military commander. He'd be very charismatic. He'd be very uh, gregarious in that sense and that he could rally the people uh, around whatever this you know, cause was, but that the cause was really about res the restoration of Israel to this kind of prominent political power in the region. Now, of course, Jesus was a warrior king. Um, he just fought a very different type of warfare. And his, his kingdom was a very different kind of kingdom. So he fits the bill, just not in the way that people were speculating about. Does this make sense? And I think what happens um, is that, you know, all of us can fall into that, that kind of trap that we, we have in our mind what things are going to be. And I think God actually enjoys poking holes in that stuff. I think he actually enjoys it. So if we're going to talk about prophecy, we, we need to understand a little bit more about what, what prophecy, what biblical prophecy is. And so um, sometimes we have this uh, notion of prophecy as being about future telling, right? Um, especially if you're watching certain fantasy movies, you know, the prophecy, and they talk about, you know, somebody coming and fixing things and whatever. In the Bible, though, prophecy is a little more nuanced than that, in, especially in the Old Testament. And, and we don't want to uh, restrict our idea of prophecy as being something simple, uh, simply as concerning future events. Now, it may include future events. And that, because that's true as far as it goes. But when Old Testament prophets prophesied, it almost always, at least as far as I can tell, almost always centered on what God was going to do in the future. So it might be future oriented, but it was about things that God uh, was up to things that he was going to see uh, come to pass. And that's not an insignificant detail by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's a, a big deal. It's not that it will just come to pass, but it will have God's involvement in it. And furthermore, you're going to know God was involved. There were things that only God could do, if, if, that, if that helps. So when we, when we talk about prophecy, we, we need just this slightly more nuanced understanding of things. New Testament prophecy tends to be a little bit different, um, but it's still the same general idea. It's centered on the activity of God and what God, God will do and what God is saying. And the other thing about prophecy that we read in the Old Testament is that there's almost this progressive nature to it. Now, 
when I say progressive, I'm not talking about left-wing politics, okay? That's, that's not what I mean. Progressive meaning that over a period of time, the revelation becomes uh, more uh, recognizable, okay? So you may have the fulfillment of prophecy at some point and then more fulfillment later. And, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about this. So the prophet will state something that God says and it will come to pass and yet it's later fulfilled even more in Jesus. And, and that's uh, one of the pieces that we're gonna talk about today. I think this is interesting. So with some you know, 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah, I'm gonna just look at two today. And I wanna relate them to the birth of, of Jesus. Um, there's lots of prophecies about his ministry, about his death and resurrection and, and all of that, but there's two, mm, I'll, I'll call them famous passages that relate to his birth. And I want to take a look at these uh, a little bit more because we, we've read them and, and you've probably seen them. And let's, let's try to put them into some context into the birth narrative. That's, that's kind of what I'm up to here. So the first one we're going to look at is Micah chapter 5. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to pull that one out. Um, Micah chapter 5. It's, it's, it's among the, the books of the Bible. Like if you split it in half and start going right, it's before you get to the, the names you can actually pronounce, right? So Micah is one of them that you can, but it's right prior to Matthew. So if you hit Matthew, go left. You'll actually get there. So Matthew chapter 5. I'll have it up here on the screen. I'll read it to you so that you can see it. Um, there's some um, fun tongue, tongue twisters here. So Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that's just fun to say, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now this is really important. This is where we get the connection with King David. Bethlehem is associated with David. His family lived in that particular area. Um, Ephrathah is just another name for uh, Bethlehem. In maybe uh, even kind of a regional not just that city, but the region around it, may refer, may refer to that. Um, <clears throat> and he says, even though you are small among the clans of Judah, well, that's what David was. David was the youngest of all of his brothers, right? Out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. Well, of course, that was David. Do you see the connections here? Micah is, is leveraging in some ways, or God is through, uh, through Micah, uh, Micah, leveraging this idea that, you know, this isn't the style of, of King David. So no wonder you had a whole group of people who thought it might be a warrior king. So he goes on. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Huh, that's interesting. Some 300 odd years between when God spoke and then when Jesus appeared. Yep, they're feeling pretty abandoned at this point. And the whole thing starts with who? Mary, right? And the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, right? In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians uh, invade our land and march through our fortresses. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Because um, we can see the kind of the progressive nature of, of prophecy here. So when Micah was doing his ministry, when he was prophesying for the Lord, um, the great superpower were the Assyrians. 
in modern-day kind of Iran-Iraq area, if that helps you with your geography. And the Assyrians were really, they were just awful. It was just, uh, just awful. Um, they were known for absolutely brutal practices on the battlefield. I mean, horrendous stuff. So when Assyria moved, the rest of the world trembled, at least if you were in that particular part of the world. Does this make sense? So when Micah mentions them, when the Assyrians made their life, this is the juggernaut. This is the one everybody is afraid of. And he's like, and, and he, this Messiah, will be our peace. Well, you can't have peace with the Assyrians because they're the Assyrians. They're, they're really bad. And yet here's Micah utilizing something that the people would understand to make his point. Are you following? So, when they march through our fortresses, because that's what they do, they just level things as they go along. And he will be our peace when all this occurs. So, in, in one sense, Micah is, is prophesying to a group of people, not just about the current sets of circumstances, but a total and complete fulfillment in Jesus, utilizing the things of that day and age. So maybe we could, we could kind of restate this in current terms. Jesus will be our peace when the virus goes through our families. Because it's scary, right? But the point is, is that the prophecy elevates Jesus, the Messiah, above all of these things that are even the scariest that we can imagine. So keep that in mind. So... We've got a major threat, and uh, um, this becomes an important um, point, especially in Matthew chapter 2, when the, the Magi come to visit. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but when the Magi come and visit, uh, they go to King Herod first. Remember, they see the star, and according to their religion, the star usually means that a king has been born. So they show up on the scene at the capital at the palace, knocking on the door saying, hey, we saw your star. Where's the kid? And of course, Herod has no idea what they're talking about here. What do you mean? I'm the king. You know, what, what do you mean another king? And so he asks his scholars, where would this king be? And this is the passage they point to, Bethlehem. We know that this messianic figure, this new king is going to come out of Bethlehem. So it's very pivotal in all this. We'll return to that, like I said, in a couple of weeks. So let me pull up just another familiar passage to you as well. This is Isaiah chapter 7. Um, and, uh, well, let me read it, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some context around it. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Remember this one? Well, yeah, because we're using this term, Emmanuel. <clears throat> what's, what's fascinating to me about this, um, there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, the Lord is speaking to a, a, a prophet, uh, through a prophet, to King Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz was not a particularly good Israelite king. But Ahaz had a son named Hezekiah. He was a great king in the same vein as King David. He was, he was often elevated to uh, his uh, 
grandfathers, David and Solomon. He was that kind of a king. And so the Lord is prophesying to King Ahaz and actually asks King Ahaz for a sign. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to provide this kid to you. Why don't, why don't you ask me for a sign? And Ahaz says, oh, no, I, I wouldn't do that. Coward. <laughs> so the Lord says, okay, fine, I will give you a sign. So please understand that this isn't the soft kind of, oh, and the Lord himself will give you a sign. No, it's the Lord himself is going to give you a sign because you didn't ask for one specifically, so I'm going to give you one. There's a little bit of frustration here, okay? Understand that. So the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, the pivotal word in all of this is the word virgin. And there's a lot of ink spilled on this, and I want to, I want to talk about it a little bit because in Hebrew, um, the word is alma. And alma can mean either young woman or virgin. It can mean either one. And it's often translated as both throughout the Old Testament from time to time. So you can see both translations. And so there's a lot of discussion about, well, there's no such thing as a virgin birth because the scripture, the prophecy was just about young woman. Okay, all right, hold on, time out. Let's, let's, let's deal with that, shall we? I think it's an important piece of this. Hebrew can be translated either way. But please remember, historically, in that culture, because remember, we're tourists, right? We open up the word, and we're tourists. There's all kinds of different cultural things. There's some historical things going on here. But in that day and age, it was presumed that a young woman would be a virgin. Now, that may not be the, the case all the time. But that was the presumption. You were <laughs> kind of innocent until proven guilty kind of a thing, right? And so here, when we translate it as virgin, it's perfectly acceptable to do that, right? There's, it, you, you're, you're allowed to do those things. And so even though it's controversial, it was the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so the prophecy was given to old, old King Ahaz about his son Hezekiah. And, and it was partially fulfilled because um, Ahaz's uh, wife at this point was young in this particular case. And God was with Hezekiah. Remember, Emmanuel means God with us, right? And, and Hezekiah was with God. God was with him and actually saved Israel on several occasions be, you know, with his leadership. But this particular passage is further and more completely fulfilled in Jesus, more perfectly fulfilled. So Mary was a young woman. There are some estimates that she could have been young as 13 years old. 13, my goodness. <clears throat> and a virgin, which she states how am I supposed to have a child, she says to the, to the angel, because, you know, I haven't, I haven't been with anybody. Nothing is impossible with God. In Emmanuel, God with us is fully realized in Jesus because God wasn't just with Jesus. Jesus was God. You see that? So, when we saw, talk about Emmanuel, God with us, I mean, oh man, I'm glad Hezekiah is here because God is with him. Mm -mm. Emmanuel means God himself is with us. 
And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, we begin to see this completely fulfilled. Are you tracking here? I mean, this is really interesting stuff when we start comparing the narrative with the prophecy and how it all kind of fits together. Now, all of this is, is interesting, I would agree, but let's be honest, it's a little convoluted, right? I mean, we gotta spend some time trying to understand everything and put the puzzle pieces together to try to get a good picture, all of it, and you gotta do some digging to understand it and see some parallels. And maybe there's this part of us that says, why, why? Why the shroud? Why all the mental gymnastics to try to understand all of this? Why not just make it plain and concrete and be done with it? Not some abstract symbols of things, but just saying, look, I'm going to send a son. You know, here's God speaking through a prophet. God's going to send his son. Here's how it's going to happen. Why doesn't he just do that? Wouldn't that be easier? And why does there have to be 300 prophecies about him? Why can't you just give us one that's crystal clear? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Maybe you're not asking it, but that's the thing that, that comes to my mind is why not just make it clear? And it seems, well, it just seems confusing. Maybe just a little. And yet, I fully believe that God is a God of order. How about you? I mean, he's the one who spoke creation into existence out of chaos. That's the picture of God in Genesis chapter 1 and, frankly, part of Genesis chapter 2. But this idea that there's chaos and yet God speaks order into it, that means God is a God of order. And so here's the thing I want you to remember. This is the thing I want you to take away today. If you don't remember anything else I said, please remember this. That ultimately speaking, God is not confusing, but he is mysterious. And there's a difference between those two things. He's not confusing, but he is mysterious. And we need to, we need to, to deal with, with what that, uh, that difference might, might be. And so here's one possibility. There's probably more, but there's the one that really comes to my mind. Confusion, in my mind, causes doubt. When you're really confused, you begin to doubt everything, don't you? I mean, you don't even trust yourself when you're confused. You know, this whole notion of of believing in yourself, kind of hard to do when you're pretty confused. When you don't know which way to turn, who to trust, least of all yourself. And those voices of reason don't sound like reason anymore. We're not really sure how all that fits together. It, it strikes me here. Um, yeah, I think I'll say this. <clears throat> so um, let me hit the pause button. I'm going to come back to this idea. Uh, but when we're um, enjoying the uh, festivities at the Magic Kingdom, they have this big fireworks show. <clears throat> and of course, this is the 50th anniversary of, of uh, Walt Disney World. And so the castle, if you've never been there, there's this massive castle in the middle and there's all kinds of decorations on it. And they have these super powerful projectors and they project things on the castle so they can change the colors. But they'll actually show um, clips of movies and whatnot. They're all the favorite Disney ones and, you know, that kind of thing. And so we're watching this show with like, you know, like 25,000 other people. We're all crammed into this little space watching this thing. (coughs) And the fireworks are going off, and there's music playing, and there's these images and whatnot. And I remember I was sitting there, and it became very clear to me that the message 
was about believing in yourself. And there's a part of me, I understand that. There's a certain psychology where you do have to believe in yourself, but the fact of the matter is, I know I'm finite. Why would I believe only in myself? It was a redemptive picture without God. Now, I understand Disney's in the business of making money. I get that. And so they want, you know, kind of, an, and I found myself even being emotional about it. Like, <laughs> princesses and all that, they're awesome and you know they're strong and they do these things and they slay the dragons and it's really cool and you, you find yourself resonating with that but the question that I kept asking myself is why am I resonating with this and I do understand this notion of believing in yourself but the fact of the matter is I am a finite being my wisdom is so limited and yet I have access to the one who is infinite and it was a very interesting moment because it's so hard to believe in yourself when you're confused. When you don't understand how all the puzzle pieces fits, fit together. I don't care how much you believe in yourself. If you, if you can't see the bigger picture, it's a really difficult task. Are you, are you following me here? It's really interesting. Mystery. Well, that's something else. That's something else entirely. Mystery is when you, when you don't understand, but you know that God is good and can be trusted. See the difference? It's almost like the goodness of God becomes the anchor. So it's not confusing, it's mysterious. And for whatever reason, God sees the bigger picture and he's not sharing everything with you right now. That's a mystery. And here's the, the piece of it that I think that we miss. And this is the one that I, ah, oh man, I really, I'm preaching this as much to myself as I am to anyone else when it comes to the mysterious of God, mysteriousness of God. Mystery is an invitation. Always. Mystery is an invitation. God is not confusing, but he is a mystery. And that mystery is an invitation. God is always inviting us to go deeper, always. I don't care how long you've followed God. You have another step to take. You could have been, you can be doing this all your life. You can be uh, in the twilight of your life. you still got a step to take with God. Everybody does. God is always inviting us to go deeper, to connect more, to learn something new about himself. Always, because it's so deep and it's so rich and it's so infinite, there's always more to learn. You, you, you can never plumb the depths of that. And I think at the same time, and this is, this is the thing that, that ah, this is the one that, that grips me. I don't think that any of us fully appreciate or grasp just how much God wants to be with us. And the fact that he's mysterious and the fact that it's an invitation only underscores the fact that he's calling us because that's what he wants. I'm mysterious because you're going to have to trust me. And more than anything else, God is saying, I want you to trust me. That's what he's saying. So if it feels confusing, hit the pause button and say, okay, is this really confusing or is, or is God mysterious here? And what is he inviting me to? You see the shift in the frame? You have to reframe these things when it feels confusing and saying, well, wait a second, maybe there's a mystery here that I don't fully understand. You know, 
This idea of being in his presence, being a people of presence, is his idea, not mine. Isn't that great? It's his idea. He's the one who wants us to be in his presence. That's the uh, mystery of it all. His mystery invites us into more relationship with him, more relationship. So when we talk about this idea of chasing after his presence, guess what? He's chasing you too. Eventually, y'all gonna catch up to each other. And so that thing that you're wondering about, I don't know what it is, God does, that thing, that thing that kind of keeps you up at night or when you wake up in the morning is the first thing that pops in your head and you're kind of wondering, well, how's this going to play out? What's this going to be like? It doesn't even have to be worry, although it might be. You can just be wondering. I wonder how this is going to be. Yeah, that, that's an invitation. Always. That's an invitation to connect with God, to be with him. And what he's saying to you is, I I, want to tell you but if I just give you the answer and you don't have to dig for it, it's not going to be as meaningful. That's why there's 300 prophecies about the Messiah. God was inviting his people to take a look at that and saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You think that you're lost um, in, uh, in exile? You think that you've been uh, um, invaded and occupied by these Gentiles. You think all of that, let me, let me tell you, there's something else that's coming here. I've given you little bits of pieces of clues. Why? Because I want you to ask me. I want you to talk to me about these things. I, I want to be in, in relationship with you, and let's figure this out together, because I've got so much for you. And so I, I kind of wonder here, I wonder instead of this sort of why me, that we often take. I don't know, maybe you don't, but I do. Why me? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to wait? <laughs> maybe instead of why me, <clears throat> maybe we might ask the question, is God up to something here? Maybe, maybe there's something else going on that I'm not seeing. Is God maybe inviting me to something? And don't get me wrong, sometimes I just want easy answers too. But I'm finding when I reframe things, instead of the why me, the focus on me, but saying, wait a second, are you doing something here? That changes your attitude because it's like, okay, well, if you're doing something here, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on this. There might be something that's going on here. And so when I'm I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm just kind of wondering, look, as you head into the Thanksgiving holiday, <laughs> which I'm really looking forward to. I, I like Thanksgiving. But as we, we head into the holiday, especially this week when there's preparation and then of course there's the shopping afterwards, right? Be grateful for what you have. But also be grateful that you can trust God with the mystery of it all. And be grateful that he's good. Because that's the basis of everything. If it feels confusing, if it feels worrying, if it feels stressful or anxious, then you have to go back to the very source. Do I believe God is good? And start from there. And you work your way out. Let's pray. God, <laughs> you're so good to us. We've just had 18 plus months of 
pandemics and lockdowns and politics and economics and all sorts of things that are just, just difficult and challenging. And, and sometimes we're confused about it and, and sometimes we're, we're worried and anxious and it's just, it's natural for us to be that way. And yet at the center of it all, I know that you're still on the throne and you're good. So, God, I pray that all of us would be willing and able to ask a different question. Is it confusing or are you just mysterious here? And if you're mysterious, what are you inviting us to? And my hope is that we would be, as a church, people of your presence so that we could be your presence to someone else. And that invitation is always to be more in your presence. Oh God, as we are thankful this week, may we experience your presence in new ways. I'm so grateful for the people who call Thrive Church home. I'm so grateful that you love us. And I'm grateful that you're good. Please remind us of that when we need it the most. And as we sing, may we feel you again. In Jesus' name, amen.